and welcome to the all-new, all-different, number one comics podcast. This is episode number 15. I'm your co-host, Dan. Directly across from me is Bob. Say hello, Bob. Hello, Bob. We are a weekly comic book podcast where we talk about a brand new number one comic book that dropped in local comic book shops as well as digitally. We break down the story beats as well as art. And at the top of the show, we talk a little bit of comic book and related news, as well as what's new at comic book shops this and next week. We're going to take a quick break, but right before that, the book that we're covering this week is Bob. DC Silent Tales number one by Gustafro. Gustaf. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. I look, if, if we're trying to pretend like either one of us can pronounce names, it's you. So, uh, so it's all, it's all resting on you now. By Gustavo Dorita. Okay, that sounds good. I'll pretend like I'll edit it out, but I think I'll leave the mess up in there. You know, it sounds... <laughs> Everybody thinks you're too perfect, Bob, because you pronounce names so well, so... <laughs> Even I mess up from time to time. <laughs> Bob does it too, kids. Don't worry. You can also mess up names like us. We'll be right back. And we are back to talk about some comic book news that dropped this week. Bob? There's actually comic book news this week. There's there's some comic book news. Not surprisingly, some of it is James Gunn related, but we'll get into that in a moment. It, it, he's just like a black hole when it comes to news. Yeah, he, he definitely is. He he sucked it all in with him. And it's, just, <laughs> it's so weird because I know we've discussed it uh, at, at length before, but there was just so much news before the announcement of the DC Slate. So much So news. I'm not the only one who thinks <laughs> that way. God, I, I feel like it was just nonstop. We were getting announcements. We were getting castings. We were just, there was so much news every day. I feel like Key Collector popped up with an alert five, six times a day, every day. Yes. Yes, and then, definitely. And, and then the DC slate and, and we got a good like week or something with no news whatsoever. Good week. Yeah. Good few weeks. Uh, yeah, true, true. Well, I did, look, I think that this is, had already been announced. This might be old news at this point, but it did pop back up. So I'm just going to talk about it here. But Scott Snyder's Noctera has been confirmed as a Netflix series with James Wan's production company attached to it. So that's a relatively newer book. I think we're on, I'm going to say issue 14, but I could be wrong. So it's still good. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Still That ongoing. is a young book to yeah. have optioned. Yeah, Absolutely. I, I'm pretty stoked about this. I have to admit, I'm very behind on Noctera. I think I'm only up to issue three, maybe, maybe four. But I really like what I've read so far. It's a really cool book. So I'm excited for that. And I'm loving to see some of these indie titles get like ongoing series and stuff versus, you know, just like a standalone movie or whatever, or trying to build like a some kind of movie franchise out of it. I think that that kind of needs to go to the wayside for a little bit. Maybe let the bigger companies deal with that. But I really, really like this idea of these creator-owned projects becoming series at places, kind of like how Sweet Tooth did and, and all of that. So really excited about that. James Wan is a big get, his production company. Yeah, I, if it has James Wan in it, I mean, I, I really enjoyed the Conjuring movies. Yeah, sure. 
and the couple of Fast and Furious movies that he did. Well, I can't relate there, but sure, I, I believe you. Well, yeah, take my take my word <laughs> yeah, for it. They were pretty good. Cars so, go fast, I know. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if it's if if they've got James Wan James Wan attached, then yeah, they'll be pretty good just off of that. Yeah, so that that is at least exciting. Let's get into the James Gunn news. It's not me. I, I don't know. We'll call it news. Whatever. I don't think this is any surprise to anybody, but James Gunn did announce that Jimmy Olsen will be in his Superman movie. That's not surprising. <laughs> I was actually waiting for it. Yeah. Of Again. course, we don't have any type of He's not going to be in a wheelchair, movie. is he? Well, I, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do with him. Maybe he'll be a bird or something, but, <laughs> uh, but he is going to be in the movie in some regard. So, so that's cool. It's nice to know, of course, we don't have much news about what he's doing with his Superman script yet. We can only speculate, but obviously we're looking at like a traditional Clark Kent, Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, you know, type of situation going on here. I would assume probably a Lex Luthor type of thing. I wonder if it's going to be like a, um, like a, almost a Superman year one. Yeah, I, I, I tried to look back a little bit today after I read this news, and I remember reading a couple of weeks ago that he had tweeted something about where his inspiration for the script was coming from, but I wasn't able to find that news again. It got buried somewhere, but but yeah, from what I remember, it was going to be a very kind of straightforward, simple Superman story, which I think is probably a good idea. You just have to, and, and I know we talked about it before, you just have to get the right cast in there. You have yep. to have the right yeah. Clark Kent because, you know, unfortunately, as exciting as the Superman story was when it came out and all that, it's kind of buried by all these other heroes, you know, that have crazy bat suits and mutant powers and stuff going on. So, so it's a little hard to make something like Superman really special unless you have the casting there for it. So... I what's think that's good. What's Brandon Routh doing? Uh, well, not playing Superman, so. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think that, yeah, that's that's going to be real important. And and again, I just, I can't even imagine who's going to play Superman. I have no clue. It's going to have to be somebody good. Yeah, I, I can't even speculate who would <laughs> Yeah, have. there's nothing. I got nothing. Who, who would play Superman? Yeah, I, I feel like this is a Groundhog Day conversation, so I'll get us out of it quick. But So uh, this is actual comic book news. Another major MCU character is wow, making... Wow, on the comic book channel. Who would have thought? I know. It's actually not movie. Well, it's kind of movie related or TV related, I guess. But another major major... Uh, MCU character is making the jump from Marvel's comic or to Marvel's comic book universe rather sorry for, for all that jumbledness uh, what I'm trying to say is a character from an MCU show is going to be in a Marvel comic book the character of course originated in the Moon Knight series oh yeah I read about that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I read Scarlet about Scarab mm -hmm. yeah so that character is going to be introduced in the new Moon Knight book that's Issue number 25, I can't remember what issue we're currently on with Moon Knight, so I don't think it's the next issue coming out or anything, but that's coming up. See, one of my one of my biggest issues with that when I heard that, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm just thinking to myself, wait a minute, is she going to be an Egyptian Darkhawk? 
<laughs> kind of. Because I, 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 you know, I don't want to say, you know, they're kind of the same. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, um, they get their powers in a different way. And they have different out. They did have different outfits, but mm-hmm. they do, it, at least to me, they do kind of seem a little bit similar. Yeah, I agree. They they do seem very similar, actually. But I think there's enough there to pull from. And then especially kind of like the way they've done with Darcy and the Scarlet Witch book. I think that there's there's enough there surface level on that character to, to kind of dig in deep and, and make it different. So... I think that that will be cool. I'm, I'm excited about that. It looks like that book is going to drop in July. So issue number 25 should drop in July. So so get your hands on Yeah, I mean, I guess if you really want to speculate on a secondary Moon Knight character, first appearance, you know, pre-order some copies, whatever you got plenty of time, maybe check that out. Uh, here's a really interesting story that I'd, I want to hear your take on. I'm sure you've read this in the news somewhat recently, but... Marvel told Amazing Spider-Man writer to avoid conventions over issue number 26 and that fans were going to be very, very mad at him. So I'm going to take this is I'm going to read this article to you. I'll, I'll try not to just you okay. know, read the whole thing here, but it's, it's not too long. But this is taken from comicbook.com. OK, the most shocking issue of Amazing Spider-Man in 50 years, a heartbreaking issue that will have fans everywhere talking. That's how Marvel Comics describes Amazing Spider-Man issue 26 from Zeb Wells and Bob's favorite artist John Romita Jr., which features a cover evoking 1973's Amazing Spider-Man 121, the iconic and infamous issue that killed off Peter Parker's girlfriend, Gwen Stacy, at the hands of the Green Goblin. This book is coming out May 31st, and it's an oversized Issue and it promises to be a key turning point in Wells and Romita's run, one that will send shockwaves through the Marvel Universe. And the editors told Zeb basically, like, hey, you need to stay away from the public, you need to not go to conventions and stuff after this book comes out because everyone's gonna hate you. So I can't even imagine what's what's in the pages of this thing. It, it says here he can tease that many people will be very mad at him. He can tease that, it, sorry, editor Nick Lowe told him not to do any comic book conventions after the issue comes out. People are going to be upset. I, I don't know. I, I, can't, I can't imagine what could be in here. Again, I'm trying to kind of go through the article, see if it drops any hints. It's saying in, in 2022, the relaunch new volume of Amazing Spider-Man asked the question, what did Spider-Man do? This was 15 years after Wells introduced the mad mathematician Benjamin, uh, I can't say that word, Rabin, during the brand new day era in 2008's Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 555. He's returned and he spent years devising a plan to get his revenge on Spider-Man and merge himself with the Mayan god way up. I don't know what any of that has to do with what's going on here, but apparently something very big. Here's a spoiler warning that I'm going to read. And again, spoiler warning. So if you don't want to hear this part, fast forward, I don't know, 45 seconds or a minute or so. Recent issues of Amazing Spider-Man revealed that one year ago, Robin transported Spider-Man and Mary Jane to an apocalyptic version of New York City where they met Paul who worked with Robin to unlock 
the powers of a new quantum symbology. Is that a word? Symbology? Yeah. Okay. Wow. It looks, looks interesting. Before the madman became obsessed with bonding with way up. Before Robin could sacrifice Spider-Man and Mary Jane to weigh up and become unstoppable, Spider-Man created a device capable of sending only one of them back to their home dimension. Spider-Man tried to use it on MJ, only for MJ to use it first on Spider-Man, sending him back to his dimension with the destroyed Waya, whose body caused a massive explosion outside York, Pennsylvania. It left MJ stranded in the alternate dimension with Paul, while Spider-Man returned home as a fugitive implicated in the WMD-sized blast. Out of options and out of time, and on the outs with the Fantastic Four and Captain America, desperate Peter turns to one man to help him save MJ. A seemingly... I knew I would stumble at some point here. Okay. (laughs) A seemingly sins-free Norman Osborn. So that's our... Spoiler of, of something that's that's going to happen here. I don't know. I can't imagine what would be big enough to make everybody that pissed at Zeb Wells. I, I can't. Is it clickbait? Is it just them trying to get people to pre-order the issue? Or is something insane really going to happen? The only thing... I mean, uh, once, you, once you were saying, you know, the public's going to hate you for this, I was thinking to myself, are they going to have Peter Parker actually kill somebody like beat somebody <laughs> to death and kill somebody but then i was like no it can't be that and then i was thinking this almost sounded like just clickbait you know i i would normally take that same position and say that it sounds really clickbaity i will also say i'll throw out there that remember just a few months ago dan slot had been tweeting everywhere that like you are gonna want to pick up the spoiler um cover of spider-man issue number seven it's got a new character in it like do not get caught without this book like make sure you pre-order it and kind of it was the same thing it was like oh this is a writer trying to sell his book like of course Mm -hmm. yeah but look at look at spider-man seven on on ebay now it's like I mean, the week it came out, it was selling $25, $25. It's a $50-plus book. Now it's it just keeps going up. So I don't know. I don't know what to think. Um, I think that there's going to be something really big in here. And, of course, that tagline, what did Spider-Man do, has been going on for, you know, like 20-something issues now or whatever. Still, what could be that big? The the editors are saying to the writer, just stay away from conventions. That's also what I'm wondering, but I've got to know. It's it's got to be something, and we have to wait till like the freaking end of May to find out. So, see, uh, and again, just like Dan Slott did, I'm just wondering: is this a way to sell Amazing Spider-Man number twenty six? I don't know. It, it makes me wonder, too. I wonder the same thing. I don't feel like, you know, Amazing Spider-Man has any lack of sales. No, uh, I don't it's either. It's a huge pool book, probably right up there with, with Batman. And, you know, it's it's up there in everybody's pool. Everyone's collecting Amazing Spider-Man, regardless of the uh, amazing John Romita Jr. art. But, but yeah, I, I don't know. This is This is a big one, and I hope that you know, in the weeks to come or, or whatever, we'll able to follow up a little bit on this story. Maybe we get something out there. 
to talk about. But yeah, I, I definitely had to talk about that one with you because this is really the first time I can think of in my comic book collecting that that anybody has been that adamant about saying, hey, something big is happening here. I, well, I, I guess I take that back. I mean, of course, we both lived through the death of Superman, but <laughs> maybe I, does it does it is it that level? I mean, I, I don't feel like it can be, but. Well, I mean, with the death of Superman, yeah, they killed him off, but it didn't take a whole long time <laughs> for him to come back. So. Well, sure. I mean, uh, of course, we would it's have to It's not like assume... the writer had to stay away from conventions or anything <laughs> like that. Well, we would have to assume whatever happens, you know, will, of course, be retconned at some point or a yeah. new volume will come out or whatever. Or, or We're going to get a one more day and where Mephisto was. Well, I was just about to say thing. Mephisto or it was yeah. Agatha all along or whatever. But, but Of course, yeah. because it was Agatha all along. <laughs> Speaking of Agatha all along, this isn't in my notes here, but I remember hearing this on the Phase 1 podcast that I listened to earlier this week. Rogers the Musical is happening at Disney. I have heard, Yeah, a 30-minute show, like, just, yeah, dude, I'm so stoked. Like, <laughs> Are I you going to go to Disney now yeah. just for that? I mean, I was going to go to Disney anyways because <laughs> of reasons, but yeah, definitely. I definitely, definitely want to see that. Have That's they, so have awesome. They, have they said a uh, starting date? I, I don't know. Maybe, but... I'm just excited that that's out there. So, yeah, definitely get your tickets for Disney. Check out the Rodgers the Musical. <laughs> you do not want to miss that. <laughs> that's amazing. Bob, a little bit more comic book news. Actual comic book news. You know, the, the paper kind of comic yeah. book news. <laughs> they still make paper comics? Well, uh, sometimes. For very special occasions, like the death of Superman. But that's about it. A new, That's a lot of paper. <laughs> yeah, I agree. A new What If series is coming, and it's called What If Dark, and it's supposed to be dark what if. Like, we're talking, they can't just say what if this person died instead of this person, even though that's what the first issue is. It reverses the, uh, the 121 that we just talked about, and instead of Gwen Stacy dying, it's Peter Parker. But this is promised... Promises to be a very, very, very dark take on what if. Some very dark stories in there. The only one, sorry, the only two that I know of so far are the Spider-Man one and there's a Loki one. I'm not sure what the synopsis of the Loki one is, but yeah, these promise to be dark, Bob. So how, it's been, how do you feel about that? So it's basically <laughs> a more adult-oriented what if series. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely down for that. I've... I enjoy most of the what ifs, mm -hmm. um, you know, um, like uh, just uh, just a certain volumes. I mean, I even enjoyed the what if Jane Foster became the Mighty Thor. Uh -huh, uh -huh. I got that one right over there somewhere. <laughs> I think everybody has that one. That's, sure. a, that's a common one to have, especially uh, before uh, the movie came out. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm excited too. I think Marvel... And DC, for, for that matter. Both really good at doing their what-if and Elseworlds type of things. It's just great, great stuff for us comic book fans who have been familiar with these characters for so long and their stories and their background and everything to just flip it on its head. And to yeah, know, exactly. Yeah, and to know here that it's going to be a very dark take on that. Like, I like that. They're really going to take some chances here. Not that the original runs of what-if didn't, but, but yeah, I'm just, I'm excited to hear that. Because I'm I'm get I'm guessing with the whole um, 
you know, uh, Peter Parker dying instead of Gwen Stacy, mm-hmm. you know, it, it makes me think, is Gwen Stacy going to take the mantle? Um, I, I would think so. I mean, we just get another version of Ghost Spider, but maybe it'll be something different. Sure. Uh, this this could be really cool. I'm I'm definitely excited about this. I don't know, Bob. What if somehow Marvel finds some weird way to tie this what if into Amazing Spider-Man 26 and, and Peter Parker dies? And that's, and, the, and and that's, that's <laughs> the reason why. I'm, I'm hoping that this new series has something to do with... Um, the new uh, season of What If on Disney Plus. Yeah, I agree. I I actually really really liked that first season. I thought it was mm-hmm. really good. I I'm kind of hit or miss with comic book animated stuff. It's not always my thing, but yeah, I I'm excited about that. So that that, that first season was really cool. They had some really cool stories in there. Mm-hmm. Bob, our last little bit of news a piece of news that I know you're very, very excited about, a rumored casting that may or may not be true. One of Bob's favorite actors, Adam Driver, apparently in talks to play Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic himself. Bob, thoughts? Okay. <laughs> I got nothing against Adam Driver himself <laughs> because I have seen projects where he's a good actor. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean... The whole thing was that Star Wars trilogy was prequel trilogy was kind of just or sequel trilogy. I'm sorry yeah. that that whole trilogy. I mean that was that was just a hot mess. And <laughs> you know the character of Kylo Ren in general was just a whiny emo. I don't know what that was, but it, it's kind of like I know Adam Driver's a better actor. <laughs> I know he can do better with better material. Yeah, he can definitely. Uh, he, he it's not that he's bad. I I just I I just don't know about him as uh. I just don't know about him coming off as oh I'm one of the smartest people in the world. I think, I think Reed Richards is a very very hard role to play. I I, I think that that's gonna take. I think that takes somebody very very specific with a a weird. I don't know, level of charisma that, I mean, I, I don't think John Krasinski had it. I don't think Adam Driver has it. I know, I know Krasinski was, has been the fan favorite for years. Well, he looks wonderful as Reed Richards. He He looks the part. Absolutely. And he's good. There's no problem with him. I think the level of nuance that you need to be able to play Reed Richards as he's written in the comics is, is, I, I, I don't know, man. There's not even anybody I can think of off the top of my head who can really pull that off who's like the perfect casting there. Do you think that do you think Fan Forstick uh <laughs> messed up by casting a young actor as Reed Richards? Do you think Reed Richards needs to be not, you know, not an older actor, but you know Yeah, like in his I don't know, mid thirties to yeah, to early forties. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. But I think that they messed up there, but I don't even think that that was their biggest problem with the casting. I think that that just, I mean, I can't even remember who that actor was, but he, he just, he, he didn't play Mr. Fantastic. He's not, it's such a weird, weird nuanced character. I feel like the only type of people that could play someone like that. Okay. I'm going to give you my dream casting for, for Reed Richards and it can't happen because the actor's way too old now. Mm -hmm. So You'll have to take my casting with a grain of salt here and, and say... Matt maybe, Damon. 
<laughs> well, mm, uh, Matt Damon's not too far off, but I also just don't feel like he's quite got it. He's he's kind of too gotcha. cool for the character. Gotcha. Yeah. And I Matt Damon's not a cool guy. I know so. what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, Matt Damon. We, I, I hey, he'll Jason Bourne you in a minute. Well, yeah, that's true. Uh, I guess good luck getting him to guess on the podcast now. But, uh, <laughs> but I'm actually going to say Sam Neill. And again, I know he's way, way, way too old, but... I feel like he could pull off Reed Richards in, in a way that no one else could. Like maybe first Jurassic Park era Sam Neill? Yeah, I mean, I would probably have to go back a little bit further. He might even be too old there. But but yeah, just that, that young kind of arrogant Sam Neill. I mean, look, I idolize Sam Neill. Again, you talked about Jurassic Park. I mean, dude was my idol in 93 or whatever yeah. for, for years, but you know, as a little kid, but I don't know. I, I just, he's, he's cool, but very, very stern. He's smart, but he's not like, he kind of just does his thing because, you know, I, I get to prove a point or to do the right thing, what he thinks is the right thing or whatever. I don't know. I, I just feel like the character is so nuanced and I don't feel like anyone can pull that off at all. I can, I can, I can kind, of, I can kind of see that. I can kind of see that. Yeah, when it, when it, when it comes to casting the Fantastic Four, I mean, at this point, I, I don't know where they would think about going. I mean, if it, if it's Marvel, then they're gonna think about getting, you know, probably a name that isn't really familiar and an up-and-comer like they've mm -hmm. pretty much done since the beginning of the MCU. Well, yeah, and I actually agree with that. I think that that would probably be the better choice is to get somebody who's not a big actor, somebody that they can kind of mold into what they need that character to play, I think would be a good idea. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I... It's it's so so hard. I mean, it, who knows? It'll probably just end up being Timothy Chalamet or something instead. But <laughs> or Eddie Redmayne. Yeah, or um, Eddie Murphy. But <laughs> <laughs> wow, that would be a take on the character. Yeah, I I take that. Guys, we'll be right back after this short break to talk about some books that are in the comic book shop. <laughs> Welcome back, all new, all different nation. We are going to talk about some books that dropped in local comic book shops as well as digitally this very week. From Marvel, we had Avengers Assemble Omega 1, which was a one-shot. And this promises to actually be the finale. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know... <laughs> You know, every time, every time they tease me with one more book, and it's I know. like, okay, one more book, and then and, and then it's over. I really enjoyed this run. Yeah, it, it was a very, very good run. But I think it's kind of funny. It's almost like Lazarus Planet level of this is the last one, and then something else comes out, and then it just keeps coming. I think maybe Jason Aaron is just like, hey, come on, the fans still want me. Let's get another one shot in there. And there, there is a very cool uh, timeless variant for it that I uh, picked up where it's just Galactus's, of course it's black and white, but mm -hmm. it's just Galactus's 
face. Yeah. That's all you see is his face. Yeah, a very, very cool variant. I like that one a lot. I, I wish I would have picked that up, but I opted for the regular A cover as I normally do. But we also had a amazing Yihang Lee variant for She-Hulk issue number 12. Man, I don't know if you saw that cover. There was, I think it's a C or a D cover. I did not. It was also the one in 100, but that was a virgin incentive. Just an amazing, amazing cover. I think that I'm going to try to stall for a second so I can show you this cover while I'm still talking about it because it's just so, so good. Just look at that cover. I mean, that's a nice She-Hulk cover. And who did you say it was by? Ji-Hung Lee is how I'm going to pronounce his name. I'm not sure if that's pronounced correctly, but uh, that that name there. Yes, I'm going to say you <laughs> okay, are correct okay. in well, pronouncing that. Maybe I'm He correct. does do some good covers. Oh, yeah, some really good covers. But, yeah, that's just that's an outstanding cover. So that's also an anniversary issue. I think it's 175 issue of, of, of She-Hulk. Is that going by legacy? Yeah, oh, yeah, of course. It's not this Amazing Spider-Man, as we have just been talking about Amazing Spider-Man. So issue number 24 had some new spider armor. Of course, it's uh, solicited as temporary spider armor, so I don't know what that means. I guess it's just goes away after this issue. Maybe, that, but... maybe that's the big damning thing. <laughs> Everyone's going to hate you because you got rid of this spider armor after one issue. <laughs> don't go to conventions. You <laughs> will be killed. Uh, yeah, that... that I don't know. Maybe uh, we had Captain America Unforgiven, the end of the three-part Unforgiven trilogy of our heroes with vampires, which was very, very cool. I have not read the Captain America one yet, but I'm looking forward to it. We had Warlock Rebirth, issue number one. It's got a first appearance of Eve Warlock. And from Dark Horse Comics, Bob, I know you said you haven't read it yet. I read this last night. All Eight Eyes, issue number one. Man, just so, so good. And it's got uh, all new, all different number one comics, podcast, artist, review, alumni. <laughs> Man, I, I took some liberty on that one. Uh, <laughs> say his name for me again. Piotr? Piotr Kowalski. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, so so he's the artist on this book. Same guy that did Where Monsters Lie. And it... it it definitely, it definitely will give you where monsters vibe. Yeah, and like I was telling you, it's instead of the big ensemble cast, mm -hmm. you know, in the panels there, it's a lot of close-ups on, mm -hmm. on one or two guys. Really, really good. His work just, to me, it just brings it up to a whole nother level. The artwork in this thing is amazing, and the writing by Steve Fox is just phenomenal. Uh, really, really good stuff. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to the next issue of that, to tell you the truth. From Archie Comics, Archie Horror Imprint, we had The Chilling Adventures Presents The Cult of That Wilkin Boy. I have not read it yet. I'm not going to lie to you, Bob. I cracked it open last night because I was going to read it, mm -hmm. and I saw the amount of dialogue. And uh, very, I said, very dialogue heavy. Very. But I, <laughs> I, I know it's, I think it's written by Colin Bunn, I believe. So I know it's going to be very good dialogue and a very good story. It's just a lot of dialogue. Yeah, it just, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in the mode last night to sit down and read a single issue for 45 minutes. To just have minutes, your so. eyes start bleeding. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't have made it last night. But in the <laughs> middle of the day, that's going to be a good book for me. I'm excited to read that one. Sounds really cool. Artwork looked great from what I saw. 
from Udon, uh, I don't know, publishing, imprint, whatever they're called, uh, we had a new Street Fighters book. It was a one-shot Street Fighter Masters Kami. I don't know what to say about that other than if you're a Street Fighter fan and a Kami fan, <laughs> then then there you go. That's That happened. Image had Terror War issue number one, which, again, I, I started on. I didn't finish it yet because I think three books was my max last night. Right. You know, trying to read them at... at midnight and, and trying to go to bed I th- I at think a reasonable that, time. I think that's pretty much everybody's max, max yeah. at one time because I read three comics at a time and then it's like, okay, I got to do something else. I don't know, man. Unless it's something like Scarlet Witch or Saga. I, I Look, I keep going all night. There's no problem there. I'll never go to sleep. But, but yeah, I, I don't know. Just jumping from one title to the next is a little hard sometimes, sure. But yeah, Terror War issue number one, it's, it's cool it's very, very interesting, high-concept book. It's uh, about these fighters that fight off these things. And I don't know what to relate it to other than the comparison that I heard from, from uh, one of the guys that works at our local comic book shop said, you know, kind of imagine it's like if, if, you, if you think of something, whatever you fear is like conjured up and becomes real and then it's a threat against you. So he was like, kind of think of it as like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man in, in Ghostbusters. Um, you know, it becomes... That's a this, very it, good comparison. Yeah, yeah. And, and I thought that that was cool. So, so yeah, it's kind of like that. You look through this book and, and some of the things that you see are very, very interesting is, is all I'm going to say about it. But, but yeah, I... I'm, I'm excited to get into that one and read it. Over uh, DC Comics, we had Flash 797. It's got... I Bob, it's got like six first appearances in it. I don't know. Wow. If you're banking on Flash, then I guess that is the issue to get because it just expands the Flash universe all throughout. Another first appearance in Static, Shades of Dakota, issue number three. First appearance of Eben. Or Ebon. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. I'm going to go with Ebon. And then Wonder Woman 798. Almost almost getting there to 800. Just two more issues. Man. We have, in, in Amazing Spider-Man fashion, new Wonder Woman armor. So no word on if this is temporary like Spider-Man's or if uh, Wonder Woman creative team has to stay away from conventions but um <laughs> so did she make a did she make a wish again and she's losing her power oh, is that well, why she dons the armor man i i certainly hope not i i think this has something to do with i don't know i i saw there was a lot of like shazam talk on the cover and stuff too surrounding it so i don't know i think it's got some kind of mashup quality to it or, or, or something I don't, know, for, I don't know for me wonder woman and armor just seems kind of overkill yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's like putting Superman... Well, I guess that would be General Zod, Superman in armor. I guess that would you know, be General Zod. Kneel before Zod. <laughs> um, yeah, well, yeah. whatever. What can you do? Terrence Stamp did so much better. <laughs> better than me? Come on, Bob. We'll be right back. Bob, let's break down... This book that we decided to cover this week, yes, which is published by DC Comics. It is DC Silent Tales, and it is written and illustrated by Gustavo Duarte. 
Yeah, I was going to give it a shot, but then I was going to, you know, like I said, I'd probably call him Gus something and it, completely it, ruin his it, name. It's Daniel. All our, it's Dan. All, all, <laughs> all our listeners know that it wouldn't come out how it's written. Well, yeah, not, not even close. So no. I, I think that that's a given at this point. Let's talk about the creator of this. And I'm just going to call him the creator because, again, <laughs> he, I guess, scripted this thing and also illustrated it. So I don't know if we have any other credits here. Uh, uh, just, just uh, you know, just since Superman's in it, we get the credit by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster mm-hmm. by special arrangement with the Jerry Siegel family, which is, which is always kind of cool. Yeah, that that is great. I like that they always do keep that in there. Yeah, no no credits here other than editor and and uh, a variant cover, which is uh, there's a one in twenty five incentive by Raphael Albuquerque, maybe. Go get your hands on that. Great artist there. But but yeah, uh, Gustavo Duarte? Yes. Oh, man. Nailed it. Now watch. He's going to come on the podcast and say, listen, you assholes. It's not how you pronounce my name. It's actually Gus Franklin. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure most of these creators, we've uh, said their names. They'd come on the podcast and they'd be like, hell are you doing oh, yeah, that's sure. not my name well i i feel bad for uh mr matthew from pop-up uh, i couldn't even come close so. yeah it looked like he was fine with calling us matthew which <laughs> yeah. thank you again for that <laughs> yeah what a good guy thank him for that uh, good thing uh tyler crook's got an easy name <laughs> say. Uh, so gustavo brings his style of humor to the dc universe in six short stories featuring funny moments in your favorite superheroes lives where does Harley buy her mallets? What happens to Superman's radioactive clothes? What's a day off like for Cyborg? Be sure to check out this entirely silent comic. So that's the synopsis from DC's website. I also put together my little uh, synopsis of Gustavo Duarte here. He is from Brazil and usually works on silent comics. He's worked on birds and... I think this book is Monster Co. Monsters Co. Like Monster and Company, I guess. I don't, I don't know. Um, for Dark Horse, he's done a Bizarro miniseries over at DC. And for Marvel, he's worked on Guardians of the Galaxy. He did that Lockjaw book, which was really good. Ah. And then he's worked on Miles Morales as well. He's also got some other credits to his name, but mainly single issues. I'm not seeing like a lot of full runs or anything that he's worked mm-hmm. on. So I'm just going to leave it at that. But yeah, that's our sole creator here. So I don't have to get into another creator. I'm just going to get into my my synopsis of the book. So we'll go ahead and take it early. Again, it much like the last few weeks, it's a long synopsis, especially for something that has no dialogue whatsoever in it. So take it away, Dan. Yeah, bear with me here. Um, DC Silent Tales is a six-part anthology comic comic where each story focuses on a different DC character. The book opens with Harley Quinn in a story titled Hammer Time. Harley walks into a hardware store and has the shop owner sorry and has the shop owner make her her signature oversized mallet by trading out the handle with a much larger one and then asking for paint. She pays and then suits up and goes outside and then breaks back into the shop to steal the money from the register. But ironically, she's leaving the whatever it was, $32 or so that she paid for the mallet and paint behind for, for whatever reason. 
Next up is Cyborg's Long Play, which starts with Cyborg buying a record from a record shop. He then lays down on his couch and listens to the record, but Gizmo shows up. As Gizmo sets up traps, Cyborg gets up to turn his record over, and Cyborg ends up punching Gizmo out the window. Next up is Superman and Bugs. So a giant bug is outside Lex Labs as Soups appears and punches it. After having Lex arrested, he flies home to eat an apple. And he's got some radioactive goo on his suit. A worm pops out of the apple. And then he throws it away and goes to wash his clothes. He leaves to go save Metropolis from a giant worm and then returns home to see the radioactive waste all around his washing machine and realizes that he accidentally created the giant worm. Next up, we get Zatanna in Mr. Crowley. Zatanna, headed home from shopping, sees a man with a bunny that's up for adoption. She takes the bunny home with her and names him Mr. Crowley. She begins opening portals to get carrots for Mr. Crawley. And then she opens a portal to a hellish cave, which I'm assuming is hell. I'm just going to say hell. It's got the little demons and everything to retrieve a medallion from an altar. And Mr. Crawley jumps in just as the portal closes. She returns to find her bunny as demons look at it, looking scared. She and Mr. Crawley return home. Next up is Joker in Gotham Gothic. That's kind of hard to say. Gotham Gothic. I I didn't have to say it out loud till now. (laughs) Joker's at an art museum showing as Batman and the cops watch him on surveillance. He hides in the bathroom as the museum closes. Then the cops and Batman go in after him, but it was all a trick and he's not really there. Then we see a vandalized American Gothic painting with Joker as the farmer and Batman as the daughter. Wife. It's actually the daughter. Is it the daughter? Yeah, yeah. I, I never I, knew I that. Had to, yeah, I, see, what's funny is originally in my notes, I wrote wife, and then I went to double check myself and searched American Gothic, and it's a farmer and his daughter. I never, yeah. <laughs> I never do. And as, as, <laughs> as much as I enjoy that painting, I never knew yeah, that. Yeah, I never knew any history behind it either, huh. so I thought that was interesting. But The more uh, you know. Exactly. Next up is the final story in in the book and it's Lobo and Suckers. Lobo walks through a building with a torch, a Nazi zombie. I read vampire, so I assume they were zombies, but I guess they're vampires. I don't know much about Lobo lore, so I don't know who he fights. So a Nazi vampire tries to attack Lobo, but he stabs the Nazi and then he kills a group of them. He then breaks into a room with a coffin and Nazi treasure. Lobo and some guy that was hiding in a coffin gather gold coins and a cool sword, but a Nazi burst out through the chest of coins. Then Lobo stabs it, and it's the end. Uh, uh, we'll, look, we'll get into the Lobo one. I don't even know what to say about it right now, but we'll, we'll, we'll get back to that, I guess. But, Bob, um, no, you know, before we get into the beats of this story, I've got some questions because okay. I think we're both self-proclaimed much bigger Marvel than DC fans. We are. Now, with that being said, I would like to point out, I'd like to give us a little bit of grace here because every single DC comic that we've reviewed on this podcast has been very, very positive so far. It has. Yeah, it we, has. we've liked Doom Patrol a lot. We loved that Harley Quinn book. And we both absolutely loved the new volume of Superman. So oh, yeah. 
So as much as I say I'm a Marvel fanboy, and I am, and, and I'm not huge on DC, every single one of these DC books we have praised to a point where, I mean, I we probably couldn't even say the same stuff about, like, the newest of Spider-Man or something. So, so with that being said, I feel okay enough to critique this. And it's not a bad critique or anything, but... Uh, again, not knowing enough about some corners of the DC universe like Lobo, I know nothing about Lobo. Nothing. Does Lobo usually fight Nazis? Does he usually fight vampires? I'm not exactly sure myself. I'm kind of like you. I know I know some about Lobo, but I don't know. I know enough. I, I know as much as him as I knew about the Guardians going into the first Guardians movie. Which is not a whole lot. I always assumed Lobo was like... I know our, he likes space dolphins. Yeah, yeah, like our, our DC Wolverine in space type of character. Like I, I always felt that that's kind of what he was like. Uh, he just... I don't know. That's what I always assumed. I don't know if he usually is fighting Nazis or vampires or, or zombies or, or whatever. I'm so, not exactly sure myself. So I have to say that he one... He did in this one? Yeah, that one kind of threw me through a loop. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, I was very confused. Everything seemed on brand until I got there and it seemed left field. Mm -hmm. Again, I can't say if it's on brand or not because I've mm -hmm. never once read a Lobo comic. Got a few of its first appearance, but, but I haven't read any. Um, so maybe I should. Maybe I should try to figure that out. So I'm a little more educated there. But yeah, that, that one was confusing. I also really wanted to understand who the guy hiding in the coffin was. I really wanted to know if that was like Lobo's sidekick, if it was like his dad, like what was going on there. Um, <laughs> Probably maybe not. it's his Bob, Agent Hydra. <laughs> Oh, oh, I thought, yeah, okay, well, I, I thought maybe you were relating him to yourself, but... <laughs> I mean, you could do that, too. Uh, but, yeah, I, man, I, I don't know, it's, it, okay, well, anyways, let's, let's move past, past that. Let's get into the story beats. Bob, it's, it's, this is going to be hard. The story part of this is going to be hard. We're almost immediately just going to go straight to the art, but... It is. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a much shorter review than normal. Yeah, how can we really... I, I kind of had to ask myself, like, how can we review the beats of this? For one thing, we need to take each six of the individual stories and look at it in its own thing. And they're, <laughs> with the exception of something like the uh, Zatanna story... I don't even feel like anybody goes anywhere. They're all just in a single location, which, well, I guess the Superman story also, but which is fine. Makes sense. I mean, it shouldn't be all over the place for as short as they are, but the beats of these stories, look, you got Harley Quinn in a hardware shop and she makes a mallet and then robs the shop. That's, that's it. That's like, I, I don't know what a story beat in that is. There's not really one there. So, so I think maybe, I don't know, I don't know how we do this, Bob. I don't know if we take our, our... I think it just has to be, I think it just <laughs> has to be totally art-driven because, I mean, the art drives the beats yeah, as opposed yeah. to where it's usually the story mm -hmm. that drives the beats. But again, no dialogue, <laughs> no narrative. Yeah. So this, all this you have to hard. go on is the art. Yeah, the I art agree. drives everything. Yeah, and okay, I'll I'll give Gustavo like a little bit of liberty here. Like I, I will say, 
as far as narrative, he's able to drive the narrative of the of these stories he really with the characters, their body yeah. language, kind of what they have going on. The narrative definitely works. I mean, look, you've got it open to the to the Harley Quinn Hammer Time one. The first four panels are are just of the shop owner. And you get kind of his surprise in his face as the door opens and everything. Like, he, he works with these characters. Yeah. He, he works with the silent issue. It, it, it's like, at first, you got before she opens the door, then the door opens. And mm-hmm. you have, oh, the shop owner is greeting a customer. Yep. And then he sees it's Harley Quinn, and it's like, oh, crap. Yeah, oh, great. What's going to happen now? And, <laughs> I mean, just how he draws the expression, just how he draws his face mm-hmm. and his mustache, just drooping it kind of just shows that oh crap it's her (laughs) yeah and and harley of course he finds her voice here you know without using it at all like Mm -hmm. it's she's mischievous she's i don't know cutesy harley quinn or whatever like it it definitely works it's it works it it works in the superman story well uh, also i think that it, it's it's kind of nice you have this heroic superman saving the day then he kind of he kind of pauses at the end of the story there where he puts it all together and he thinks about the apple and the radioactive waste and the worm and then he's like oh god i'm an idiot that, that's my fault <laughs> i did that i kind of yeah. like the expression that he gives too same thing with the zatanna story it's it's fun it's it's quirky it's weird she picks up this uh, this bunny and she doesn't know what, what to do with a bunny. She's like, oh, great. I guess I got to feed it some carrots or something. Let me just open a portal and go grab some carrots. And Although she does break the law. I must say well, that. Sure. She definitely didn't pay for those carrots. But, yes. uh, but yeah, she, I, I don't know. There's enough, there's enough narrative there from, from these characters' faces. Even this bug, this giant bug in the Superman story. Yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> you can you can see you can see you know Superman flying around in its mouth just mm-hmm. from the panel because I mean you you get side view where Superman's flying to one side and then you get the top view where he's trying to fly out mm-hmm, mm-hmm. then you see Superman fly fly out his teeth yeah <laughs> so the beats uh, the way the way he draws everything the way he draws the expressions the way he draws the characters it I mean it. it you know the stories f- flow smoothly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree, and and I think I think you're right. The narrative does kind of shine through enough in the art here to get it done. And you know, I gotta say, when I first uh, cracked this book open, I don't know how you uh, felt, but I wasn't expecting this art style, mm-hmm. this more you know like surrealistic, cartoony, yep. I guess you would say mm-hmm. kind of style, but. For a silent book with no dialogue, I think it works. Yeah, it definitely does work. I, I wasn't expecting it either. You and I had talked before we started recording today, and we both kind of simultaneously thought that this was more of different artists and writers on this thing. Like it was mm-hmm. an anthology book with like maybe you know a different creative team on each one, mm-hmm. or or at the very least a different artist on each each story. But yeah, it's all it's all by this artist here. Yeah, I, I think it all works. Obviously, we're going to have to skip the dialogue portion. There's no dialogue here other than, you know, what's what's on a newspaper or a record cover or, or like a price or something like that. So I will say Mr. Crawley, the rabbit that Zatanna picks up and then it being Zatanna, 
is that supposed to be modeled after Aleister Crowley? Like, is that is that what you got? Or do you think what... I don't know. Did you have any idea for what the inspiration behind the name was? Possibly. <laughs> I'm, I'm not 100% sure, though. Well, that's what I was going to go with. I think that that would make sense in a Zatanna story, especially given the end, like with the hellscape and all of that. I think that, yeah. And, and that kind of ties into my next thing, the world building. Let's talk about the world building. I think that we can talk about the world building and the story part of this uh, without necessarily getting into the art. Um, uh, of course, it's a aspect of the art, but but mm-hmm. yeah, let's let's talk about the world building. Again, this is hard. This is very hard. Not just that it's a silent issue, but it's an anthology issue. Just like whenever we did the uh, Archie, the Betty, um, Final Girl book. It's kind of hard because we're talking about multiple stories within a single book that we're talking about. So, I mean, what does that mean? The world building throughout, the world building in in each one, whatever. I'm going to take it more as like the world building in each one. We've got six different titles here. So the world of of Harley Quinn is, is, I don't know, relegated to the small hardware shop and that's it. And I feel like that is... A, a world in Gotham that that works and makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's lined with I, I don't know. It, there's there's things there. That I, I feel like it's it feels very lived in. It feels like one of those small town like mom and pop hardware yeah, stores. Owner operated. It's mm-hmm. you know obviously it's this dude's shop. He's not paying employees. Like it's not like somebody else owns the shop and they're paying this guy six dollars an hour to to help people or anything. It's just his shop and he just works there and he probably, you know, does that and then goes home at six o'clock and eats dinner or whatever. Like that's, that's what I assume. I feel like the world there works. Um, it's, it's kind of cool. That's uh, really all I can say about it. It's not, there's not much. So the next one being cyborgs world. And, and again, cyborgs world is, is his, I don't know. It's a, it's a record store. Then it's his living room couch. That's, that's all. Not really much to go off of at all, but I like how, like, I don't know, it seems, like, really comfortable and modern, like, in his living room. He's obviously listening to a record, and you can tell he's kind of, like, a hip guy with his cool sneakers and jacket and stuff on, and he's just relaxing, listening to some music. Well, and and when you when you say living room, I'm thinking, is it his living room, or is it, the, like, the Titans' living room? Oh, yeah, well, it's the Titans. I mean, uh, obviously, you got on the top of that panel there, you got the Titans. Uh, oh, yeah, that's true. I didn't see uh, that. What's that called? Tower? Titans Tower. Yeah, all right, good. That makes sense, yeah. But <laughs> the big T in the sky. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. It just, maybe it's an uh, aspect of his room in the Titans Tower. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. but Possibly. I wasn't familiar with the character of Gizmo, were you? I actually had to Google to figure out who that was. I had no idea who it was. I'd okay. seen him before, but it's uh-huh. like, what is his name? Yeah, likewise. I know I had seen him before somewhere, but it took me a minute, and I didn't, I, I don't know, I just didn't put that together. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like that world works. Now, getting into the Superman story, the bug story, I feel like there's a lot of world building there. We're over at Lex Labs, um, you know, we're we're back at Superman's apartment where he has a, a a Christmas tree up, a naked Christmas tree. I'm not sure what's going on there, but yes. anyway, that's that's there. We're kind of in his high rise apartment, and then you know he goes back out to Metropolis, and and 
fights the worm and, and then comes back home and everything. I feel like there's a lot of world there. Mm-hmm. As sparse as it is with, you know, there's not people or anything, there's a lot of world. Now, Bob, did you notice here how the Superman story ties into the Zatanna story at the beginning? I'm sure you did, but Superman's eating the I did, smart yes. brains cereal and then tosses it and hopefully what's not a radioactive <laughs> trash container, I'm not sure. Um, and then Zatanna's shopping bag has the uh, smart brains cereal at the top of it. I did, I did too, and I had to go back and uh, look at the um, the uh, Harley Quinn story, and I had to look and see, was that part of the hardware store? Is yeah. that going to be a running gag throughout? Yeah, I wanted to see, all this other stuff must tie in somehow, but it doesn't appear to, it just seems to be those two and that's it. Mm. I'm not sure if maybe there's more Easter eggs throughout it that we're just missing or something, but, but yeah. So we get into Zatanna's story, and... Uh, Again, she's kind of walking in the street. She gets back to her house. She's opening portals to grab carrots. There is one panel that may or may not be controversial. I'm not going to say anything about it, but I will just point out. I don't know if that's okay or not, but <laughs> anyways, I won't uh, say anything more. Maybe just let that be our little Easter egg that we talk about. But but yeah, uh, Zatanna throughout her house and then into that what I'm just going to assume is hell. I think that the world building there works really well. I feel like that's a Zatanna, a a nice Zatanna world that we're in. She gets down to that hell cave and everything with the demons in it. And like some really, really nice, I know we're not in the art yet, but when she first opens the portal to go to that area and it's the red background with the black trees and everything, I really like that art. Yeah, I I do do too. Those colors pop. Yeah, and I, I, I really enjoy his depiction of Zatanna. Um, I like his work on her. It looks really cool. Really cool depiction of the character. But yeah, that's that's the Zatanna story. Uh, now I'm trying... Oh, the Joker one is next. So that one's just Joker in a museum. There's no real world there other than just a, I don't know, Gotham Museum. Mm-hmm. Um, which works. I guess we have the police station as well, but... I think... And, and the facilities in the museum. Okay, yeah, well, sure. Yeah, we got some nice urinals on the wall and everything there as well. And the last one being the Lobo story, Suckers, where I like this one. It kind of gives me Castlevania vibes. He's walking up and down these stairs I was and actually going to say Wolfenstein. Okay, Wolfenstein, yeah, sure. Um, well, I guess Wolfenstein makes a little more sense. But, <laughs> um, yeah, he's, he's killing... Uh, vampire nazis and and then he gets to that cool room with all the uh nazi coins and everything i i feel like the world works there as well i don't know that that's kind of uh, again i wasn't too sure how to approach this i don't want to go story by story to to talk about each one of these things i feel like maybe it's kind of boring to listen to and it's taking up too much time but but let's get into the characters. Let's talk about the characters. Now, let's get into the art section because that's where the story really thrives and, mm-hmm. and, and everything. That's what the story is. It's based on the art. So let's talk about the characters here. How did you feel about the depiction of Gustav, Gustavo? Gustavo. Okay. Gustavo. <laughs> um, bringing these characters to life on in the page here. Like, Did you have any that you think worked really well? Any that you think like didn't work so much? Was there any... You know, uh, and, 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 I mean, you pointed that out. I mean, to me, uh, 
You know, if anybody, I mean, his depiction of Zatanna was the best. I mean, because yeah. Zatanna's are always been, you know, a younger, mm-hmm. I don't want to say, you know, teenager, but maybe early yeah, to mid-20s. Adult, sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. young adult. And, I mean, that that's how she's shown. I mean, she's shown, you know, upbeat and mm-hmm. full of life and... So, yeah, to me, Zatanna was the best. I mean, yeah. Harley Quinn, I mean, mm-hmm. throughout throughout the art, you know, she definitely depicted her, you know, disturbed, maniacal, you don't know what she's going to do, yep. especially by the fact that <laughs> she pays the shop owner for the stuff that she buys, but then she comes back <laughs> and robs the store. It's, it's kind of like, huh? Yeah, interesting uh, yes. things that Harley Quinn does there. Yes. Yeah, and I, I look, for me, I think the characters work very, very well. I do have some favorites and then some that are are less. Uh, not knowing much about Lobo, again, I think I've pointed out a million times already here that I don't know the lore of Lobo really. I like his depiction of Lobo a lot. I think the character looks really good, and I like all the characters in that story, I think that they look, they look well. The Zatanna uh, being my favorite as well. I think that that, that one really, really works with the art. The Harley Quinn one works good. And the Superman surprisingly works really good. Mm-hmm. I think the weakest links here for me are Cyborg and Gizmo. I, I don't, it's not that they don't work. I just, they're not up at the same level as everything else for me. And definitely Joker. I think I, I don't really like this depiction of Joker, to tell you the truth. I think that it's... I don't know. I, I'm okay with cartoony Joker. It's not that I have a problem with it. I just don't... I just don't like it here. To me, the, to me as far as portrayals, this was more of like the Cesar Romero mm-hmm, mm-hmm. type Joker. You yep. know, just a, just a funny ha-ha without all the homicidal tendency. Sure, yeah. I mean, in, in his story, he's just ruining a painting. He's not you know, killing somebody or, or whatever Joker normally does. But, but yeah, I, I think that I like the depiction for the most part of all of these characters. I like a lot of the side characters. I, with the exception, I think maybe Gizmo's a little too cutesy or something. I, I don't think it works well for that. But I, I don't know. I, I think the characters work well here. So let's talk about the locations. I... Kind of the same thing. I feel like some of it really shines. Um, but the locations all do work here, at the very least. There's To me, there's not one that doesn't work. Even the stories that I'm a little more you know, bored with, like the, like the cyborg one, the location really works. It, it depicts a good location of, of that living room in, in the Titan's Tower. Mm-hmm. Of course, the Zatanna locations, like we already talked about, I really like those a lot. I really like when we get into the kind of underworld hell environment there. It looks really, really cool. Superman locations I already talked about I love. And I like the juxtaposition of Harley Quinn and that uh, hardware store and everything. So, yeah, I think the locations work. You have any notes on the locations you want to talk about or you, you kind of feel the same way with them? I, I, kind of, I kind of feel the same way. Honestly, I'm, I'm like you. I mean, for me, I mean, this book is all about art. Yeah, well, definitely, yeah. Uh, so then let's get into the backgrounds, the backgrounds on this. And, you know, Bob, I, I wouldn't normally say that we could group the backgrounds and the colors together because they're such two different things. But I think given that he is the sole creator on this book and we've t- 
talked about kind of the same things over and over again. I, I think for the sake of that, we can kind of just group them in together. So the backgrounds and the colors here, I'm going to go ahead and say the backgrounds are, they work well for what they are. There's not too much detail given in much of them. Now, when it comes down to world building, I feel like he does a good job. We talked about that hardware store and how it works with, with the backgrounds in it. And then kind of the same thing I've seen in quite a few DC books where when there doesn't really need to be much of a background, when it's just more focused on what the character's doing, there's no background. And, and I'm, I'm okay with that. There doesn't always need to be one if you're, if you're trying to depict, you know, just that character or what that character's doing. Though, I mean, I, I got to say, personally, and this is just me, I mean, you, you get this, you get these two panels where, you know, in the background, you, you know, see everything, and of mm -hmm. course, it's a hardware store, so mm -hmm. you see the hammers, you see the nails, you see, you see the saws hanging up, you see everything like that, and like, like you were talking about with it doesn't need to be a background, just personally, I'd rather there not be anything in the background mm -hmm. because for like a new reader, that may, you know, take away from focusing on the characters. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. I mean, personally, I would rather just, you know, leave it like a blank panel with just the characters. Yeah, and, and I can see that. I think that he mixes it up here pretty well. I I guess, I don't know, I... I, I I've, I'm going to go ahead out on the limb and say I, I feel like thought was put into whether it was going to be kind of like a blurred background with not much in it or or something to focus on or no background at all. I don't know. For me, it works. Now, it definitely has its ups and downs for sure. I, I do agree with you there. I think that as modern and cool as the living room in the Titans Tower looks, it's still doesn't have enough to like really catch my eye sometimes like some of the other ones do like this hardware store or, right or like the uh, kind of bear yeah the superman one there's just mm -hmm. not anything going on now we're in zatanna's house where where there doesn't need to be a lot going on and and the backgrounds are are done up there so yeah, so i don't I, know i i do especially like seeing it inside of her fridge i mean mm -hmm. he draws every single wine bottle i mean he draws everything in her fridge yeah exactly so so i don't know i mean it's it's there's different things to pull from there i guess it's not mm -hmm. it's each story kind of has its own elements of, of some of this so it's not all really the same and then colors for me the colors pop i always really really like it look i think I, i'm happy that there are separate colorists and comics and i think all of those people are you know, wonderful. They all absolutely deserve jobs, all of that. I'm not downplaying any of that whatsoever, but I can appreciate where the artist does their own color work sometimes. Cause I feel like that vision really is fully executed. And, and I feel like it feels a little bit more personal to me. This seems a little bit more personal. There's not a lot of shading and stuff going on, of course, but but just the colors along with this art style really work well together and they really pop. Like they look very, very nice. So mm -hmm. this is very visually appealing on the color side. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, again, like if, if you agree, it sounds like you agree. If you have any other notes you want to take on colors there. So that's, that's kind of our discussion on that one. We're not even going to talk about moving on to issue number two because there, this was just a one shot. So we don't have to go down that road. But I, I will ask you this, Bob. 
given our, our review of this book and, and how we talked about it here for our listeners, do you recommend that people go out and pick this book up? I do, especially if you've never read a silent issue. Like, mm-hmm. I've never read a silent issue, okay. and this was definitely more enjoyable than I thought it would be. Yeah, I I don't disagree with you there. I, I have uh, looked at a few silent issues. I guess I can't say that I read them. But, um, but yeah, I, I've definitely owned some silent issues, been involved in those and, and everything. I don't know. This one's hard for me. It's It's good. It's fun. I think that... I don't know if you're not collecting a lot of comics. If you're just picking up a few books a week, or, or I don't know, some people only pick up pick up like one book a week or something. To go spend six dollars on on this, I, I feel like you might feel a little cheated. You kind of open it up and just blast through it, and in a couple of minutes, and that's it. For me, it's it's very nice art and it's fun, but none of the stories hold any weight whatsoever. It's just a fun like little whimsical experiment or whatever mm-hmm. and then again like we have ones where i kind of just almost didn't like them at all i didn't like the cyborg one i didn't like the joker one i feel like the only ones that really intrigued me at all were the zatanna and the lobo and i liked the harley and the superman one but but yeah i, I don't know i think overall i'm gonna say if you can get away with it, maybe crack this open in your local comic book shop and, and take a look at it and then spend $6 elsewhere, in my opinion. But it, it's definitely a nice-looking book. I, I will give it that. With that being said, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Did you know there was a Doctor Strange movie in 1978? Or that Tim Burton and Nicolas Cage almost made a Superman movie in the mid-90s? On Superhero Cinephiles, we take you on a journey into the world of superhero films, including the acclaimed, the infamous, and the obscure. And you might just be surprised at some of our takes, because here, we want to talk about the things we love, not the things we hate. Listen to Superhero Cinephiles on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us on the web at SuperheroCinephiles.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram at SuperCinemaPod. We are back with the all-new, all-different, number-one comics podcast. Bob, we're going to talk about some books that are coming out next week in local comic book shops as well as digitally. Bob, take it away. Yeah, it's it's it doesn't look like it's gonna be a particularly <laughs> big week. Yeah, it's a as, light week as as far as comics. I mean, which is fine. Which is fine. Oh yeah, I could use a light week. Um, <laughs> I definitely, definitely could use a light week. So a light week for Dan is still like a hundred and fifty dollars. Oh. A few of the books that are coming out next week from Image Comics, we have World Tree Number One. Yeah, and I want to piggyback on you talking about World Tree really quick, just in case listeners don't know. World Tree came out, I think, two, maybe three, I'm going to say two weeks ago. It came out and it was recalled. And that, what I mean by coming out is there's like, I don't know, six or seven covers for this book, as well as incentives. Like they all came out and were all shipped to comic book stores. And then it was recalled because the cover was too dark. So if you got your hands on one of those that was originally out that was recalled that was supposed to be returned um you know that your comic shop sold you or whatever 
those are actually fetching like a little bit online, like, you know, upwards of like 20, 30 bucks right now. And obviously you got to read the story ahead of everybody, but now it's, it's new release date is, is this Wednesday, the 26th. So, so yes, that, that's the discrepancy there. If you thought, you know, you heard about world tree coming out before and now you're confused as to why it's coming out now, that's why. So I did just want to throw that out there for anybody who wasn't in the know. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> I try. <laughs> From Dark Horse, we have Star Wars, The Hieropulpic Adventures, Quest of the Jedi, number one. With a couple of first apps in there. Uh, yes. A new legendary Jedi Knight. And Barnabas Vim and his Padawan Bly. Hey. I mean, hey, get those Star Wars first appearances, I guess. Why, why not? Yeah, that's true. Um, from DC, you have Unstoppable Doom Patrol number two. I think we we'll, we we will be both picking up this issue. Yeah, absolutely. That's on my pool. And speaking of first appearances, that has a first appearance of the Worm, a member of the Doom Patrol. Uh, maybe it's the same Worm in the Superman Bug story here. I don't know. Only, possibly. Only time possibly. will tell. <laughs> Um, from Marvel, we have Marvel Tales Miracle Man number one, which is a 120-page one-shot of classic Miracle Man stories. Again, I know Bob will be picking this up. Uh, Bob loves reading 120-page issue books, so yeah, that that, that that's <laughs> gonna be a little bit. That's gonna be a no. Can you imagine though? If uh, look, no offense to any of the huge Miracle Man fans out there. I know they exist, and that's cool. Good for you. But pulling 120 pages on Miracle Man, that, that, that's got to be a task. So Yeah, 100, 120 pages, that's, that's, <laughs> that's a sit-down. Yeah, sure. From Udon, we have Darkstalkers, Flation number one. Yeah, and this is the solo series f- featuring Felicia from the Darkstalkers Dark arcade game. It has some... Very, very interesting cover art that if that's what you're into, you might want to pick that book up. But oh. yeah, um, but yeah, that's that exists. So. Yeah, just yeah, yeah, just judging by the cover, <laughs> a it's kind of like okay. Mm, yeah, again, we're we're just throwing some uh, Easter eggs out there for you guys to look at these things. I guess I don't know. Uh, also from Marvel, we have the debut of Star Wars: Darth Vader, Red, White, and Black, white, and red number one. Yeah, those are always hard to say. Did you... I can't remember. We had a Wolverine one. We had a... Was, there was an Electra one like a while ago. I think so. I think there was. Yeah. I think there was. Th- there's been quite a few of these, but they're actually really, really cool. I actually like these a lot more than I thought that I would. Unfortunately, it's an anthology, so Bob and I are not going to cover it. We're going to try to stay away from the anthologies yeah. as much as possible. But, uh, but this would have been a cool one to cover if it was not an anthology. Um, we have Sins of Sinister, Dominion number one. Yes, and this is Sins of Sinister, year 1000, timeline, conclusion. Have not read that. Do not know if you have. Of course. It's the next title. (laughs) Uh, we also have the third series of Alien. Yes, third series from Marvel of Alien. This is the premiere issue where scientists discover an unknown organism on an icy moon. Uh, from Image, we have Deep Cuts number one. Imagine a week where 
you only have one brand new number one from Image Comics. That doesn't happen too often. No, Usually there's a couple not. out there. It, it does not. Yeah. From DC, we have Green Arrow number one, a possible first appearance of a new villain. Whose name is Troublemaker. That doesn't sound like an honest guy. And this is part of the Dawn of DC. Not a rebranding, but, I don't know, bringing some of these titles back into the fold over at DC. I don't. I can't think of the last time I read a Green Arrow book, probably on Kevin Smith's run, so it's been quite a while. But this is who I'm assuming is Joshua Williamson. I see Williamson credited as uh, the writer on the book. So, mm-hmm. so that's cool. Very good writer. I'm excited. I like Green Arrow. Yeah, we, de- we definitely don't need a uh, DC Universe rebrand anytime soon. <laughs> well, we, don't, we do not need that. Yeah. From American Mythology, we have Rawhead Reborn number one, which sounds like a totally nuts comic. Let me just tell you that the cover on this one, speaking of totally nuts, is insane. I don't know what kind of demon that is and why there's things living inside of it. The synopsis says, a dying man utters a name which curses his killers and seals their fates. Rawhead. Yes, this this is a very (laughs) bonkers. If this is Rawhead on the cover... Kind of, it's kind of giving me carnage vibes. Yeah, I would definitely pick this one up for the cover, even if you're not going to read the book. It looks, it looks pretty cool. It would look nice in a nine-eight slab. All I can say. And then from Scout Comics, we have Darkland number one. Yes, Scout Comics always super, super reliable at their books coming out consistently. Hopefully when they see next they're going week. To. But yeah, hopefully this one comes out. It's a 24th century. A young girl stalked by a notorious bounty hunter finds Haven in an abandoned mall located somewhere in the remnants of America. A, a mall as a dark land? I, I always think of a mall as a happy place. I don't know. I, I guess that it's a Except mall. Separate region. <laughs> well, that's, that's a whole <laughs> other I mean, maybe we could make our own comic on that. But yeah. Those are the books that are coming out next week. Bob, I think you have an announcement for us. What book are we covering next week? The book we will be covering is from Image Comics, World Tree number one. Yes, we will be covering the James Tunney and the Fourth World Tree issue number one. Barring that they get the colors right. Yeah, let's hope they don't recall it again. Maybe now this time they'll say it was too light and they'll recall it and it'll just keep happening. It'll be like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Oh, this man. one's too dark. Yeah. This one's too light. <laughs> you gotta get it just this right, This one's man. just right. <laughs> oh, poor, poor Image Comics. Guys, that is our episode this week. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. And diving into DC Silent Tales with us. As always, make sure you use our hashtag, all new, all different nation, to be entered in our weekly giveaway. Check us out on Instagram at ANAD underscore number one comics podcast, on Twitter at ANADNO comic pod, on TikTok at ANAD. Number one comics pod, as well as YouTube at the comic book channel. We'll see you guys next time.